This is a Federal News Network podcast. You might be one of the federal employees who filled out the so-called Pulse Survey. It's the latest way the Office of Management and Budget has been hoping to get information on the federal workforce. It augments the yearly federal employee viewpoint surveys with more frequent measures. Data is great, but will agency managers do anything with what they learn? That's the question my next guest is asking. He's a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University, Bob Tobias. All right, Bob, what's your take on the Pulse Surveys? Useful? Not useful, or it all depends? It all depends, Tom. You know, gathering data is an important first step in making change happen. And the question is whether the data will actually be used by agencies and whether change will actually occur in response to the concerns that were identified. You know, the survey was very short, only 10 questions, and it covered three topics. Navigation of the ongoing pandemic and the return of federal employees to their workplaces equity inclusion, and employee engagement and burnout. Top of the mind issues, top of the mind concerns, and the preliminary the limited preliminary data showed the question, the single question of most interest is, quote, I trust agency leadership to do what's right to protect employees' health, safety, and well-being. Now, they were mostly positive. However, it was also the question that showed the most variation from agency to agency. To me, it's not surprising that this question received the most responses. Most federal employees who do work at home want to have the option to stay working at home and to have a safe office environment when they return to work on a limited basis. Now, some agency heads might say, you know, I really don't know how the agency will define who can work at home. I don't know how well we can accommodate employees when they return to work, so I'm not prepared to say anything until I make that decision. Or the data can be used as an opportunity to engage with the workforce through conversations between leaders and the led at every level to allow a solution to emerge as opposed to being dictated from the top. I really think it helped to create engagement between leaders and led on an important issue in Zoom world, and it would evidence agency interest in the conversations could point to a solution that's more generally accepted. But I have no idea how agencies are going to respond to this. Well, yes, because as you pointed out, the answers vary a lot according to agencies. And if one agency workforce says, yeah, they're doing a great job protecting us from COVID, then I guess there's no real clue to change course there. But on the other hand, what do you do if you are not having people come back that don't want to come back? And they also said the agency isn't doing much. Does the implication there (laughs) that we want to go back, but we want to make sure that they're ready for us to come back? I mean, it's hard to interpret. But the data is available agency by agency. So they know quite well whether they're at the top or the bottom, whether people are more concerned or less concerned. So their challenge is to use this data to create a solution as opposed to ignoring it or to wait until an agency head decides what to do and then dictates it. I think this is a perfect opportunity to engage people who have been separate from the agency because of Zoom and to reintegrate them on a problem that's of huge concern to the workforce. We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He's a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this burnout question, because that's kind of a leading thing to ask. Are you burned out? 
I mean, there's academic disagreement over whether burnout is an actual reality or not, whether it really exists. So what do they say and what's your reaction to what people said about whether they're burned out or not? Well, I'll tell you, Tom, if I were the head of SSA or VA or USAID and I learned from the survey that I had the most employees who feel exhausted in the morning at the thought of returning to work, I'd be concerned. Or if I were DHS or, again, SSA, who had the most employees most likely to take another job that offered the uh, same pay and benefits, I would be concerned. In an environment where it's hard to hire, in an environment where the issues that agencies have to attend to are expanding, I need an active, involved workforce. Now, at SSA, VA, and USAID, and DHS, these folks don't seem to be engaged. If I'm the head of that department or agency, I need to be working on re-engaging, engaging these employees in the work that we do in our agency. And how do you do that when so much of the workforce is remote? I mean, well, we can't assume that because a lot of federal employees have place-related jobs if you're a TSA officer If you're a Border Patrol agent, there's many, many that need to be there. That's correct, Tom. And for those who are in the workplace, it's conversations with those people in the workplace. But those in Zoom, I think, as a leader at every level, I need to be talking to the people I'm leading about issues that concern to them. Normally, I engage with the people I lead to talk to them about the work they're doing, the progress they're making or not making. But I think... These leaders need to be engaging on matters that are of concern to the employees. And in this case, they've made clear what their concerns are with respect to um, engagement in burnout. And if I were the head, I'd be moving forward. Because there are only some things that even a manager has control over if there's a certain workload and there's a program that has to be done and you've got so many billets or so many FTEs you're allowed to have in your agency by budget, you really can't do much about the workload necessarily. So what are some factors that can maybe help people less burned out, but you still have to work so hard? What kind of sugar cube can you give the donkey? (laughs) Well, you know, Tom, it's kind of interesting. I think that the fuel you give to the donkey is that I care about you. And I think that what's happened in places like SSA and DHS, the idea is, or the feeling is, I don't care about you. And when that happens, people don't want to come to work and they feel exhausted. And they say, you know, I'm going to get through the day, but I'm not going to get through the day very fast or very easy. A lot of agencies hire a consulting firm who gathers additional data and then proposes an elaborate set of solutions eight months or a year from now and it's never used. I think that's a real failure to take accountability for what's currently happening in the workplace and address it. And the other thing a manager can do maybe is just take a deep breath when an error happens or some mistake occurs. Your first reaction is, look what Joe did over there. Look what Sally did over there. They screwed up this thing. But you can also take a step back, take a deep breath and say, well, they've been working you know, 10 hours a day remotely without a lot of human interaction now for two years or six months or whatever the case might be. Let me put myself in Joe or Sally's shoes and understand how something can happen. 
not that you don't deal with it, but it's how you deal with it that matters a lot. I couldn't agree more, Tom. To ideal with employees with empathy, but our ideal with employees with judgment. And if I can deal with empathy, if I can understand where they are, what their issues are, what their concerns are, and these are folks who are going to want to work with me and for me, as opposed to if I deal with judging them wrong at every step of the way. Well, too bad you and I don't rule the world, Bob. <laughs> Next week, Tom. Next right. week. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also 
reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Mm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us, um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, 
Let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the the art of of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not... my mind to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.